Well, first things first, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that we can gather together in your house. Lord, that we can gather together in fellowship to encourage one another to grow in your word. Lord, we thank you for the things that you have for us today. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon this place now, quiet our hearts. And Lord, each one of us you know in every detail. You know the plan that you have for us, and I pray that your word would speak to our hearts today. We would apply it to those things, that we would go forth from here today, Lord, as doers of your word and not hearers only. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I brought a few frogs with me this morning in my throat. Okay. Well, let's open our Bibles to James chapter 2. Part of our faith in action study. And, you know, the book of James is really cool. It's devoted to Christian spiritual maturity, which is growing up in Christ. And that is why I like to recommend that we read the book of James uh, once or twice a year. It helps sharpen our focus, and we can examine if we're growing. And last week in chapter 1, we learned that we grow through trials, temptations, and the Word of God. And today we're dealing with a portion of Scripture that puts the spotlight on something that is actually pretty common behavior and something that we're probably all guilty of or have been at one time or another. Maybe it's actually something we do all the time and we don't really fully recognize that we're doing it uh, or think there's anything wrong with it. And what I'm referring to is partiality, prejudice, and favoritism. And I say guilty of because God says in his word that it is a sin. Now, maybe what comes to mind immediately is racial prejudice. You may think, well, didn't we get rid of that here in the United States? Well, wouldn't that be wonderful if it were true? But we haven't. And we most definitely should. But as we read James's admonition to us here in chapter 2, we are going to see that there are many layers to this snare and sin of partiality, prejudice, and favoritism. All right, so you're in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 13. And I have chosen to read from the Transformation Study Bible. It's a New Living Translation. It had some notes in it from Warren Wiersbe, who's a wonderful man of God, who's written so many insightful books and commentaries. I like to use a lot of different Bibles, and I read through a different translation every year. And the Word of God never gets old. If anything, it is just amazing how pertinent it applies to you each and every day, every situation that you're going through. And maybe something that didn't hit you so much last year, this year it really hits home. The Lord knows you needed it now for what you're going through. And then the next year will come around and this verse that was so impactful to you now uh, is less significant later, still applies, reminds you. But he's got something else for you. And that happens on a daily basis. So I want to encourage you all as you do these studies each week and spend time in your Bible to approach it first in prayer. Lord, this is your word. Thank you that I have it. I know there's places in the world where they wish they even had a page of it. And with expectancy, the Lord has something for you in his word. And so don't you want to know what it is? And don't you want to receive it? And don't you want to get everything he has for you? Yes, you do. All right, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, 
or uh, what Leanne said this morning, somebody said brethren and cistern. <laughs> we were wondering if that was a real word. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you show partiality and favor some people over others? Partiality in the Greek literally means to lift face. Not to get a face lift, but it means to lift up your countenance upon someone That's a biblical phrase to show favor to someone. And David used this term in the Psalms, asking, Lord, lift up your countenance upon me. Show me favor and bless me, Lord. Remember that song from Numbers 6, 24 to 26? And since we didn't have worship and we got a minute, I think let's actually sing it. I was going to read the verse, but if you know it, I wish Rose were here. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Really? Okay, I got the frogs in there. <laughs> I'm starting to sound like a chain smoker. Anyway. It's a beautiful request and blessing. Well, let us have this attitude and bless everyone in this way, as James is going to tell us here. Verse 2. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. All right, got to stop here. Nowadays, this might be kind of hard to be an indicator if someone's got bucks or not because... Look at the current fashion trend. I mean, people are paying a lot of money to get those ripped up jeans and the fades and, you know, you got to have your tatters and rips in just the right places and you got to pay the money for that. Anyway, I'm not here to get on a soapbox about the clothing and what's tasteful or tacky. It's pretty much in the eye of the beholder. But just be careful that fashion doesn't become a god to you. And in our church here, we're pretty casual. It's the mountains and uh, we don't really have a dress code, but... And some folks are on vacation, too, on Sunday. You know, they're coming up for occasional weekends. And it's perfectly fine for us to be comfortable and casual. But we don't want to be distracting. We want to be modest. And we want to make sure our daughters are modest, too. You know, it's, it's very hard, the fashions and stuff. But you can do it. There are, make sure their outfits aren't too short, too low cut or revealing for the sake of our brothers here. Anyway, you can wear whatever you like as long as it's not drawing you or someone else away from the Lord. And be aware there's a danger of wearing expensive clothing or expensive-looking clothing. That designer stuff could be sending out a message of, hey, check me out, you know, look at me. And, and if you can afford it, fine. Uh, but just be aware that people will oftentimes become partial to you because of what you have. You don't know if someone likes you or loves you because of who you really are, or is it because of what you have? So the outward appearance of a person can deceive us, and that is not the measure of what their value is. Verse 3, if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, well, you can stand over there, sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Now, this kind of favoritism or pandering to one person over another simply because of what a person has or who they are in society is rooted in evil. God says it is sin. And if we're really honest with ourselves, when we cater to the rich or famous or the good-looking or gifted, 
It's because we hope to gain something from them, to get something. We're thinking that in some way they can offer us some kind of advantage. And in turn, we avoid the poor or the unattractive or the oddball because they might embarrass us or we don't want to look uncool associating with them. But remember, Jesus died for that person just like he did for you. And so we see here that people are coming in to hear the gospel. That's a wonderful thing. They're coming in to hear the word of God, to, to learn of him, to grow in their walk with him. And they're being delegated to various places to sit based solely on their outward appearance. Haven't we done that to people not only in our actions but in our minds and our own hearts as well? Delegated them to a lower position Judging and assessing someone by what we see on the outside rather than by the inner attitude of the heart. Don't make the mistake to think that what you're impressed with outwardly is the same opinion as God's. Did you size them up by their clothing or fashion style or maybe their lack of style? They look cool or uncool or whatever the public opinion is this week on the coolometer. You know, maybe it's their, what's the thing that pops up that you see when I go to check my email on one of the sites and it has, um, whoever blew it this week for fashion mistake or whatever, you know, (laughs) there's a, you know what, thank you, Lord. There's a, there's a blessing right there to not be famous because then you don't have to worry about if people are slashing you all over the whole country if you made a mistake by the fashion police. Or worse yet, have your rear end taken a picture of at the beach with a close-up, and then there it is at the grocery store checkout. I mean, hello. Thank you, thank you Lord. Just keep, keep us not famous. I can't think of anything worse. I just think that. Anyway, you've seen them. We try not to look. But, you know, they've got the black tape over the eyes. But there's their... Anyway, enough said. TMI, too much information. Anyway. Anyway, maybe it's their ethnicity, their skin color, their culture. Are we making an instant assessment and stereotype? Maybe we see their body size or their health condition or physical characteristics as attractive or unattractive. All these things seem to carry more importance to us rather than the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And someone might be dressed terribly on the outside, but you know what? On the inside... They're clothed with the robe of righteousness. Aren't you glad that God doesn't think and operate as we do in this way? Thank you, Lord. Thank you that he's not going by our wardrobe or our bank account to decide how much he loves us. All right, now I want you to keep your finger or your bookmark in James 2, and we're going to turn over to 1 Samuel 16, back in the Old Testament. And as you flip there, uh, let me tell you, God was directing Samuel to the man he wanted to have anointed as king over Israel. For Samuel 16, God sent the prophet Samuel to the tribe of Judah and the family of Jesse. Now, this man Jesse had a bunch of fine-looking strong sons, perfect physical specimens on the outside. And one by one, these sons passed by Samuel, and he was thinking to himself, hmm, Well, here is a strong, well-favored man. This must be the one the Lord favors. But not so, Samuel discovered. Okay, you there yet? 1 Samuel 16. uh, And you can read the whole account later at home. But look down at verse 7. Here's what God says. 
The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his outward appearance or his physical stature. And this next part you should underline. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And David was chosen. God says David was a man after his own heart. I love that. Wouldn't you love God to say that about you and your heart? And Lord, I pray that you would make us all women after your own heart. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord. Make us grow into women who pour out your love and grace abundantly to others. The the people you've placed around us, those kids, that husband, even when he's bugging us, the neighbor who is rude to me, cause us to lift up our countenance to others as you do with love and without prejudice. And James is saying that by judging and playing favorites and showing partiality based on that outward, we are proving ourselves to be judges who cannot be trusted. The church is not just for one class or type of people. It's not an exclusive club for people who are flying right and walking straight. It is for all people who are seeking the Lord. And Jesus' arms are open wide to all of us, to everyone. Not only in the assembly of God's people, the church, a place where we can gather together and fellowship with others who love the Lord. It's a place, as I said earlier, to learn the word of God, to learn of him even if you don't know anything yet about him. We keep learning what his word says, and we grow in our faith, and we grow in our trust in him. We grow in our sensitivity to what pleases the heart of God. And, you know, it's also a spiritual hospital, or so it should be, to get help and be ministered to for all those busted-up things in our life where we need his balm of healing and comfort. And... I don't know how this is going to go over, but you could even say that the church is a kind of mental hospital. Uh, it's a place, well, what's for me? It's a place for you to come and get your head screwed on straight and get the confusion and the dirt of the world cleared out and cleaned up. So we're going to have people walk in our doors who are in every place in their relationship with Jesus, every age, every income bracket, level of education, their spiritual maturity. And every level of brokenness and humility or pride and full of themselves and everything in between. And if you have wealth, intelligence, an attractive appearance or any other gift or asset, how can you gloat or think yourself superior? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Why are you prideful about it? If God has blessed you with gifts, it's for his glory and his purpose. So are you using them correctly? Are you using those assets correctly? It's not wrong to have riches or gifts. And actually, God's word says that we've all been given gifts of some sort. God does bless with material riches too. But when he does, he intends for it not to be hoarded up but to be used to bless others. We are vessels. We are to be vessels that bless others with pouring out, pouring out with whatever the Lord has given us, wealth, health, talent, time, intellect, our spiritual gifts, whatever God has given you, it is for the glory of God, and that is the reason why he's given it to you. First Timothy 6.17 gives instructions to those that have material prosperity, to not be haughty about it or put their trust in their financial assets. It says, 
Be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, making sure to store up treasure in heaven, focused on using whatever the Lord allows you to have for the purpose of his kingdom, not use it to build up your own kingdom. And whatever God has blessed you with, and he has blessed you with something or gift, and I'm sure all of us, if we really sat down quietly for a few minutes, there would be more than one thing on that page if we wrote it out. Thank you, Lord, for that whatever it is, ask the Lord how he wants you to use it. Be his vessel and be rich toward God. And, you know, didn't we learn some of these things just a few weeks ago at our ladies' retreat, Carol the Pottery Lady? She taught us that whatever it is that you do, have it, pour it out, and give it. And even if it's just time. Time is actually very precious, so maybe it's something else. But, you know, whatever it is, energy, gifts, material assets, God is going to use it and he's going to pour in more you cannot outgive god give the lord your fishes and your loaves and he will bless it and use it to feed the multitude all right now i want to have you look around and i want to let you know something look at the person sitting next to you look at the person sitting behind you the person in front of you okay i know we got a lot of wonderful, beautiful, fun people in here. And the person now in sitting in your chair, I got to tell you something. Sinner. <laughs> All sinners. That's right. That's right. Each and every one of us here. And I suppose if we really knew everything about that person that we are sitting next to, we might want to change our seat. But God knows. God knows. (laughs) And he loves us completely in spite of knowing all the stuff that we wish others didn't know. Every sin, every failure, every shortcoming. He, every bad hair day. He He knew us from our mother's womb and even before the foundations of the world. We are all equal in God's standing. We are all in the same place. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all in need of a Savior. God loves us all so much. So much he loves you. So much he loves me. Everyone, including that person that you're not impressed with. He gave himself for all of us, for each of us. He paid for your sins, for my sins, for every sin, for every person to redeem us to himself because each and every person is of supreme importance to him. You are of supreme importance to him. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. What does God think of you? So we're all very, very valuable to God. Don't disqualify or kick to the curb someone else. They're precious to God. We can't boast of ourselves. We can only boast about the mercy and grace of God. All right, verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Yes, he has. Turn over to Revelation chapter 2. Now, in the first three books of Revelation, Jesus is writing to the churches. Uh, Most of us have probably read or studied the book of Revelation. Not everyone has. There's a blessing for you when you read the book of Revelation, so read it and pray and and, uh, it's not really all that tough some people are sort of scared of it thinking well it's all prophecy well yeah there's prophecy in there 
the first three books are actually talking about seven churches, and they are uh, examples to us. And so there is a lot of application in there for us in our day-to-day lives. All right, Revelation chapter 9. Oh, excuse me. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to go to verse 9. Now here he's writing to the persecuted church in Smyrna, and he says, I know your good works. I know your tribulation. And you know what? I know that you are poverty-stricken. But you are rich. Jesus said they were rich in the things that mattered because they were laying up treasure in heaven where neither thieves could steal it, rust and moths couldn't destroy it. The real treasure is not in your bank account. It is in the things of God. Now, just flip over a page to Revelation chapter 3. And let's look at a contrast where he's writing to the Laodicean church. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. You're lukewarm. It makes me sick and nauseous. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and have need of nothing. But you don't realize that you're really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. The real riches come from me, Jesus is saying, and you don't have any of it. They forgot who their first love was. Those who realize that they have nothing to offer to God, they are the ones that God can bless. Those are the ones God can use. Those are the ones that God can fill. And if you don't have any need for God, well, you know what? You're on your own. Yeah, you might have a big pile of stuff, a big pile of money, and a very impressive job title. You might have all the things that appeal to us here in this life, but those resources right now are not guaranteed to be there tomorrow. We can't put our hope and our reliance in these things here that are temporal. I like what Pastor Chuck says. I've heard him say this a few different times in Uh, Over the years, I listen to his teaching every day on the radio. God is not on the gold standard like we are or what our money used to be in this country uh, when our money represented gold. Now, this is going back quite a ways because we just print up the money. You know, I mean, it's wallpaper, it's coasters, it's, I mean, it's valuable to us. I always tell my son, okay, dude, you cannot leave, you cannot just let your money fall onto the floor because the pets will eat the paper and they cannot tell if a president's picture is on the front or not (laughs) between some other piece of paper. So you have to treat it with some uh, care and concern because you're going to need to use it again. But anyway, our money is not backed by gold anymore. It's not backed by anything. God, God's standard is a different gold standard. God is looking at the heart of a man or woman and he sees the faith and the trust that is there in him. And God says, oh, that is a rich person. They love me. They trust me. And quite honestly, you know, I, I pray for myself. I love this verse. It's Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. It just came to me this morning. Give me neither poverty or riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. I'm fat and happy and content, so I'm not desperate for you, Lord. No, I don't want to get like that. I want to be desperate for you all the time, Lord. And then I get so complacent, I say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and then I profane and shame the name of God. That's Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. That was sort of my own uh, translation of it. But, um, 
that's a good that's a good place to be. You know, I'm. It doesn't matter if I'm rich or poor, Lord. I, I just want to be well pleasing to you. I want to be in your will. I want to be following close and abiding with you, remaining with you. And so let's keep our focus there. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And he is going to add to you the things that you need. That's Matthew 6.33. So being rich is a matter of perspective. I mean, my income bracket right now, I would say, if somebody would told me, oh, you could live on this, I don't know, five years ago, I would have laughed like, are you serious? You know, But we, even in our, our poorest state here, Somebody in another country, we are wealthy compared to them. I mean, really, we are wealthy, okay? Yes, we may not have all of the luxuries, and we often have a hard time discerning between wants and needs, you know. But just come to the Lord and think about Him and think about your blessings, and you're grateful you know, there's always somebody worse off than you. And uh, I don't know who that person is at the very, very, very bottom of worse off. But, Lord, I pray that you would lift them up and bless them. And thank you for how you've blessed me. And whatever I have, whether it's much or little, use for your purpose and your glory. Anyway, being rich is a matter of perspective. And you know whose perspective it is? It's who is doing the accounting. You can be rich materially and poor spiritually. You can be poor physically and rich spiritually. Just like you can be poor in money and full of pride and hate against God and others, and you can be rich materially and realize that you are a wretched sinner in need of salvation. A person who is prosperous materially has a tendency to put their confidence in their bank account. And that's why Scripture tells us that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for them to look past their self-sufficiency. Well, I'm successful. I'm pretty comfortable. My retirement plan is solid. I've got a wonderful personality. I'm nice. I'm a good person. I'm healthy. I'm rich. I'm good-looking. I've got fame. I'm blah, blah, blah. Sadly, those very things that the world sets great value on are the very things that can fool you into thinking that you've got it all and that you don't need God. And that's why it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. They don't see a want or a need, and yet they are a a, a depraved, wretched sinner. It doesn't matter what our income level is. We are all in the same boat. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Luke 12, you can, don't turn there now, but you can read about the parable of the rich fool. And it is about someone just like this who lays up their treasure for themselves, for the here and now, in this life. And God says, you know what? That person is a fool because you can't take it with you. Don't put your trust in material riches or anything or any person in this world. They can be gone in a moment. And that person... They're a human being. They're going to fail. They are not God. God is the one who will not fail you. God and his unlimited resources are who you can rely on to always be there. And if God hasn't given you something, maybe you're not ready for it. He loves you. He knows. Maybe it would stumble you. Maybe it would lead you astray. Maybe it would lead your kids down the wrong path. Better to not have it. Lord, be the author of my prayers. Help me not to ask for things that you, you know are not going to be 
helpful to me in my walk with you. As you spend time with God and pray, he will shape your prayers and, and you will get clued in and tuned in and, and contentment starts to happen. And, and you realize, thank you, Lord, for where you have me. Lord, you will perfect that good work you started in me. You will complete it. I know I'm not there yet. I wish that, you know, I could have the microwave plan and it's super fast. I now, a lot of my prayers I tell the Lord, Lord, it took me 10 years to learn this thing right here. It took me 12 years to learn that. It took me 15 years to learn that. Lord, I'm not getting any younger. I can't take 10 and 12 and 15 years to learn stuff out. i got to learn it quick. Help me, Lord. You know, so my prayers are a little different than uh, when I was first starting out, you know. Lord, would you please send Ed McMahon to my house with that check already, you know? Would you make that publisher's clearing uh, pull my name? I mean, come on. Anyway, let's move on. I'm getting, I'm rabbit trailing. Psalm 102.17 says, God will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. God and his unlimited resources. He will always be there for you. And so now we who are saved by his grace are all rich, rich because of our inheritance. We are heirs and children of the most high God. And our inheritance is not just what is to come. That wonderful and glorious eternal life. Yeah, that's that's our future. But we've also got an inheritance right now. Woohoo! I can write checks on the Lord's checking account. Hello. When I blow it, when things are a big mess, Lord, I need that check right now, that promise that you've given me, Lord, that you will work all things together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Lord, for that. I now can trust you, Lord, that this thing that happened to me, this terrible situation, or this boneheaded thing that I did, Lord, you already knew about it before it happened. Thank you, Lord, I have that promise. Now, if I am not in Christ, if I am not in Christ Jesus, he's not my Lord, that promise is not for me. I don't get that. I don't get to write that check and claim it and cash it in and count on God. God will keep his promise. But you and I, we have an inheritance now. We now have that unlimited power and love of God. And he is true and faithful to his promises to us. And it's important that you see this and get this. We benefit now while we are still here in this life. Some Spend some time learning and meditating on those promises of God to you. Trust him. He does what he says and he says what he means. All right, verse 6. But you dishonor the poor. I read an interesting quote. The famous 16th century theologian John Calvin observed, To despise and dishonor the poor is to dishonor whom God honors, and so to invert or to go against the order of God. Abraham Lincoln said, God must love the common people because he made so many of them. And there is scripture after scripture that speaks of the poor and God's concern for them. God has prepared his goodness for the poor, Psalm 69, verse 33. For he shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him that has no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy, Psalm 72, verse 12 to 13. God has often chosen the down and out as his kingdom's first citizens with full rights and full privileges. And God's kingdom is promised to anyone who loves him. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court, verse 6 says? 
Here they are. They were abusing, shaming, embarrassing the poor who came in. And James asked them, isn't it those high and mighty people over there who are exploiting you and they're using the courts to rob you blind? Verse 7, aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Or some translations read, don't they blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Interesting thing about the meaning called, it's referring to, and it's actually the same today, when a woman marries a man and she is then called uh, by his name. She takes on her husband's surname. Well, we have been called by and have taken on the name of Jesus Christ. We've dropped our old name, which my former maiden name was Sin and the World. Miss Sin and the World, where I was lost. And now I've got Jesus. You've got Jesus. We're born again and bear his name. So let's honor and conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of his name. James points out, isn't it these proud, lofty members of society that society adores? Aren't they the very ones who scorn your name of Christian? Haven't we seen celebrities today in our day? And they just, you know, they're into this, they're into that. Whatever they're into, the world just thinks is just amazing. They, they're into anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. They, oh, I don't need him. Well, that's who he's talking about in their day. The name or term Christian was first used as a jest a label of reproach. It was hurled at someone as a derogatory remark, wiggling around or doing something weird here, by uh, the people who were mocking them as little Christs. The followers of Jesus actually simply just referred to themselves as believers or the way. But at that time and in that culture, it was generally the rich who oppressed the poor and not the other way around. And we can still see it today. You know, the rich, uh, they a lot of times hold important offices in government, and they have more opportunity to oppress. But James is showing us that when we are favoring some over others, we are going by the world system, the world's gold standard. And this is just the opposite of God's way. And Jesus clearly lived and demonstrated that to us. When we assume that the rich man or celebrity or leader is more important to God or more blessed by God, we have misunderstood the mind and heart of God. And when we act that way to the rich or important, that it's their material situation that gives them worth and to the poor person that they have less worth, we are sending the wrong and the very opposite message of God. The early church did obviously get the message, though, because they started loving each other and opening their arms to everyone, rich, poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile, And they started behaving like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. At that time, these assemblies or gatherings of believers was the only place in the Roman Empire where there were no class distinctions. Everybody was the same. A master and a slave could be in there and sit side by side. Or maybe it was his own slave or a poor or less educated person that was actually doing the teaching. This was completely revolutionary and strange and awkward to them. I mean, this was just a bizarre phenomenon. But this was a powerful witness to the love of God. The unity and the openness of the early church amazed and astounded that Roman culture and the ancient world. Jesus says in John 13, verse 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also Love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That same kind of love is to be a witness to our world today. 
And is this what your neighbors, your relatives, your co-workers are seeing in you? First John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Romans 12.10, love each other with genuine affection. Honor each other. Give preference to one another. Jesus breaks down the walls and the barriers that man puts up. Jesus is impartial. Even his enemies knew that about him. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, where they said, Jesus, we know that you are not a respecter of persons. You don't show partiality. And if you were here last year, we read many accounts of this in our uh, Bible study with the different women of the Bible. Like when he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus dealt in love with poor and rich alike, Jew and Gentile, male, female, the prominent and the lowly, the healthy or the sick. He could go into Jerusalem and minister to the invalid, the poor crippled man at the pool of Bethesda, the bottom of the bottom socially, and yet he could spend time with Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. On the way to Jericho, Jesus could stop and talk to Zacchaeus, who was the wealthiest man in Jericho at the time. And yet he could stop and heal blind Bartimaeus, who was just sitting by the roadside rattling his tin cup. Everyone has the same opportunity with Jesus. Verse 8, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why is it called the royal law? Well, it's issued and decreed by the king himself, the king of kings, our God, the only true and living, all-powerful, almighty God is a great king. And his law is a royal law. And this royal law is the law that is king of all laws. It's the very essence of the Ten Commandments. The great king God is love. His law is the royal law of love. And that law like himself, reigns supreme. Jesus declares this royal law in Matthew 22 when he was asked, which is the greatest commandment? And uh, in verse 37 to 39 of Matthew 22, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19:18. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to harm them. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to slander and talk down about them. You're not going to murder them or hate them. You're not going to fall into sexual sin with them. And if you love God with all your heart, you're going to do what he wants you to do, plain and simple. So the law of love is showing consideration and love and thoughtfulness toward every human being. And you may not know your neighbor across the street or that person sitting next to you or the store clerk very well or what they're going through, what their struggles are, what their heartaches are, what their blessings are. But you're to love that person. And yes, even the one that bugs you. Love never fails. This is a little card that we have a box of cards on our dining room table. And there's a different scripture every day. I love stuff like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. 
a wonderful thing to do with that verse to see how you're doing. Go read that verse in every place it says love. Put your name in there and see, well, am I patient? Am I kind? Am I not being? Am I, not, am I being uh, proud or not? Am I rude? Put Jesus' name in there. And, and it's just a good way to encourage you and keep you going. Or maybe not encourage you. I've, I've put my name in there several times and I'm like, oh, nuts, I, I, I only got one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's ten years later. I'm up to two. Yeah. Work in progress. So anyway, mm-hmm. verse 9. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. When we show partiality to some types of people and not others. We are doing the very opposite of God wants us to do. Verse 10. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. And it's a serious matter of obeying all God's commands. Yes, we have grace. Yes, we're not under the law. But you know what? I love you, Lord. I want to please you. If you love me, you'll obey me, Jesus said. We can't say, well, you know, I like God's command against murder, so I'll keep that one. I'm not going to kill anybody this week. But, you know, I really don't like his command about adultery or fornication or sleeping with someone that I'm not married to. And I really don't mind if I'm lying or coveting or gossiping or slandering. And you can pretty much just fill in the blank with any other sin that comes to mind. So I think I'm going to just pick and choose the ones that I like and disregard those that get in the way of my particular lifestyle. Mistake. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do commit adultery, you have still broken the law. Don't fool yourself. It's all sin. Sin is sin. Verse 12. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Now, if you're using the word for today, New King James Version of the Bible, a lot of us have that in here. It's a wonderful Bible with Pastor Chuck's comments. Look at his comment for verse 12, and I'll summarize it uh, for those of you who don't have it, explaining what this law of liberty uh, that sets us free is. In Christ Jesus, I have been set free. I'm at liberty from the law of Moses. The law of Moses could not and did not save me. I was saved by faith in Jesus, and this brought me under a new law, the law of liberty. Under the law of liberty, I do things not to be saved, but because I am saved. This new law results from God putting his desires upon my heart, and I delight in the things I do for the Lord. This is the law of liberty. And the bottom line for the law of liberty, my husband was so nice to remind me of this this morning, and I thought, that's that's true. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. That means they're not beneficial, not beneficial to you or maybe to someone else. And in my liberty, I don't want to stumble anyone. That's the law of liberty. All things are lawful, not all things are expedient. Is this going to be a good example to my kids? Is this going to be helpful to me or is it going to stumble me? Yes, I do good works, but I don't expect my works to save me. I look to Jesus alone for my salvation. Because I've received Jesus as Lord, my belief is manifested or proven by my changed life. Verse 13, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. We need mercy, don't we? Psalm 41, verse 1, blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Your day may come where maybe you don't have everything there that you once counted on. And it will be your day of need. 
Matthew 7, 1 to 2 makes it pretty clear. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I'm accountable if I stand in judgment against you. If I'm pointing a guilty finger at you, well, three are pointing back to me. And I might be saying, thinking or saying, oh, you're, you're yucky and terrible for that sin that you do. Well, maybe you didn't know it was wrong. But I do. And I'm judging you for it. And that's what it means, that standard by which I'm going to be judged. So, Lord, I need to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We're accountable for what we know. And let me tell you, it really starts to sink in when you become a teacher of God's word. As you study and learn it and impart it to others, you realize that you had better be doing it yourself. So pray for me. Pray for, pray for Connie. Pray for your group leaders. We're all a leader over someone. Is it our kid? Is it our, our influence in the neighborhood? You know, Lord, help us not to stumble another and to walk according to what your word says. In closing, as followers of Christ, we are, as believers are never to make a person feel unwelcome or of little value and worth. That's really the bottom line here. We as Christ's people and bearing his name are to treat people as he does with love and without prejudice. Lord, please help us to do it. Let's pray. And Lord, we just thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. I pray that it would be engraved in our hearts. It would be engraved in our mind. It would be at the front of our mind that we would just double check that tone in our voice, Lord, the eyes that we're looking through. Lord, give us your eyes to see people. Give us your heart, Lord, for people. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that, Lord, you haven't, you, you will complete the good work that you started in us, that you, Lord, aren't going to forsake us. You're going to keep teaching us and seeing us through. And yes, we're going to stumble and blunder, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy to us. All that grace and mercy that you pour out to us, Lord, help us to pour it out to others. We ask that you would be with us now as we go to our groups. Lord, knit us together as friends and as sisters. And Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to grow strong in our faith and our obedience to you as we learn it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.